You probably had the experience of filling in some form, some official document, and one of the questions on it uh, will ask, what is your nationality? What's your answer? And I'm not asking for uh, a show of hands for different options. What's your nationality? You'd be given various options, of course. Uh, British, Irish, maybe Northern Irish, maybe more than one of those. Of course, maybe you're from another uh, country altogether, and uh, it's more straightforward. But for some, that's quite an easy question to answer. They've no problem with it. Uh, For others, it's a bit more difficult. Uh, It may be the case that your documents say one thing, uh, and your heart says something else may not be an entirely straightforward issue. And questions of identity can be very complex, and particularly, and of course, in our modern world and where people uh, are on the move uh, and so forth. Uh, what is uh, your identity? Where do you belong? Do you feel there is somewhere that you truly belong? And of course, our answers to questions like that uh, will tell a great deal about us. That question of where do you belong is one that eventually Moses had to face in Egypt, as we will see uh, in the passage from the Word of God that we're looking at this evening. So we're turning this evening again to Exodus 2, and we're looking at uh, verses 11 to 25, the rest of chapter 2, and our title uh, this evening, All in God's time. All in God's time. That's what we see really running through these verses. Several things that we notice in the course of Exodus 2 from verse 11. And the first thing that immediately jumps out at us is foolish haste. Foolish haste. Now, verse 11, as you'll see, one day after Moses had grown up. Now, we might be inclined to think Moses probably was a young adult by this stage, but actually, uh, the scriptures, particularly Acts 7, 23, tells us he was 40 years old. Uh, He wasn't a youngster anymore. He was 40 uh, at this point. So the first 40 years really are are passed over in a sentence uh, in the book. He's been trained uh, in Egyptian ways after that early uh, grounding in Israelite faith. Now he's 40. And one thing that reminds us of, we've seen it already in Exodus, is God is not in a hurry. He prepares his servants gradually. The Lord knew that it was necessary to wait for 40 years before his purpose to deliver Israel, begins really to unfold. So God isn't in a hurry, and he works slowly. He he knows exactly what's required in each of his servants for the work that he's got for them to do, and he knows exactly what is needed for Moses to prepare him to lead Israel out of Egypt. Forty years. But isn't it interesting that after 40 years in the Egyptian court, in the royal circles in Egypt. As far as Moses is concerned, 
the Hebrews are still his own people. You notice that in verse 11. They're still his own people. Forty years. Well, we don't know what age uh, he went uh, into Pharaoh's family, but he's probably fairly young. Let's say 30 years anyway, growing up in those circles, and yet the Hebrews are still his own people. Same thing uh, when Stephen gives his account of the history of Israel in Acts 7. Uh, I encourage you to, to read Acts 7. It's the defense that Stephen gave when he was on trial, ended up in his martyrdom. But, but really, Acts 7 is a kind of potted history of Israel, very helpful in understanding the Old Testament. Well, Stephen there says of Moses, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. Same idea. They're still his own people. And Moses understands for all the years he's been in Egyptian circles, nevertheless, uh, this is his true identity. He's one of the Hebrews. He's one of the Israelites. And he understands that. But this isn't simply an ethnic or cultural thing. I'd say, well, yes, Moses uh, knew certainly racially he was a Hebrew and that was his early culture. But there's something deeper going on here. It's a spiritual issue. That's what lies behind Moses identifying with the Hebrews. And it's spelled out uh, very clearly for us in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament. And there, verses 24 and 25, this is what we read. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Isn't that striking? By faith, Moses was committed to the Hebrews as God's people. It's a spiritual issue. And we have a profound statement of the spiritual caliber of Moses in the very next verse in Hebrews 11. This is what it says. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. Christ, notice that. For the sake of the Messiah. As of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. It's telling us something very powerful about Moses and how he understood himself. He identifies himself with the people of God, with the Hebrews, the people from whom the Messiah, the Christ, will one day come. That's Moses' identity. And he understands enough to know that that's who these people are, to whom he belongs, the people from whom God's Messiah one day will come And he must identify with them, not with Egyptians, but with these Hebrew people. And a challenge, perhaps, uh, to all of us how willing we are to identify with God's people. When, perhaps, as we're experiencing increasingly in our own day, when they seem to be a a minority, when the wider society uh, doesn't share our values and our outlook, Sometimes, perhaps, there's a temptation 
to keep our heads down. Perhaps if someone else is being given a hard time uh, for being a Christian, we keep quiet. We, we don't want to attract unwelcome attention. And here's Moses, willing at whatever cost to identify with God's people. Uh, and it could have been, and in some ways was, very costly for him. So far, so good. So far, we've seen, as it were, a, a good side of Moses, willing to identify with God's people and understanding that's who I really am. But Moses has a lot of growing to do. And that becomes clear very quickly. Because in the, the incident that's recorded next, uh, without any command from God, well, without any authorization from the Lord, Moses acts. He takes the initiative. Yes, he's compassion on a Hebrew, and that's laudable. Here's this Hebrew being beaten up by an Egyptian slave master. But Moses' reaction, he killed the Egyptian, verse 12. And there is no indication, everything points the other way, that this is not God's path for Moses. We can't justify his action here. He is rushing ahead of God's plan and doing it his way. Interesting, Acts 7 again, uh, verse 25, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. Not interesting. Moses thought, ah, well, my people will understand that I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to take them out of Egypt. But the Lord isn't going to do that yet. Actually, as we read on in the book of Exodus, we're going to see uh, that the Lord is not going to lead Israel out of Egypt for yet another 40 years. And the man who will go down to Egypt to lead the Israelites out will be an 80-year-old Moses. The 40-year-old Moses isn't ready to do that job. It'll be the 80-year-old Moses that God will send down to do the work. Moses has jumped the gun by 40 years in what he does. He's rushing ahead on his own initiative. The Lord is not going to do it that way. Uh, and I think it is fairly clear Moses really knows this isn't right. There's the looking around, first of all, before he attacks the Egyptian, and then afterwards, uh, hiding the body. And Moses, I think in his heart of hearts, knows this is not how he should have done it. This is not the course to take. And in God's service, often we have to learn patience. And we need to be seeking God's will for what we're to do and how we're to do it so that we keep in step with God's plan and not with our own ideas. That can be true in our individual lives. It can be true as a congregation, as a denomination. We're to be seeking the Lord's direction and the Lord's guidance. And not only for the goals that we are working towards, the things that we want to see, but the methods we use also have to be God-honoring. You see, there are other churches who in their 
times it seems desperation to get people in by any means are doing all sorts of things uh, that are nothing to do with God's word or God's will. Often they're just aping the world's methods. We need to be submissive to doing God's work in God's way. And Moses was not doing that. It was foolish haste. It's not enough to have good motives. There's no doubt Moses had. People have done some incredible things for good motives. And yet have done some evil things. The goal seemed good, but the method was a different matter. And so for Moses, we can't justify in any sense his killing the Egyptian. It was not God's will and it was not God's way. Foolish haste. We need to develop godly patience as disciples of Christ. Willing to wait on the Lord and to seek his leading and his guiding. Moses didn't. And there were consequences to follow. Foolish haste. Second thing we see here in this passage is gracious refining. Gracious refining. Now Moses had many gifts that would equip him to lead Israel. No no doubt we've already noted uh, some of them. But he needs a lot of refining. He is, we might say, a rough diamond. And God is going to get to work on Moses. And for the next 40 years, he's already 40, 40 more years, God's going to be shaping him for the task that lies ahead. His life's work will start at 80. We might not be... uh, tremendously enthused ourselves if we thought our life's work was going to start at 80. But this is Moses. It's not a pattern for all of God's people. You don't have to wait till you're 80 before you do a great work for the Lord. Most of us will have to start a bit earlier than that. But 40 years shaping still to come. And the first way that God refines Moses is his experience of rejection by his own people. Remember, what's Moses going to do eventually? He's going to lead out people who were slaves, who were oppressed, who were trampled underfoot by the Egyptians. And if the 40-year-old Moses had proposed leading them out, they'd have said, well, you know nothing about our life. Here are you, fresh from the palace, pampered, Wonderful lifestyle. And you're going to lead us? I don't think so. And Moses has to experience hardship. Moses, first of all, experiences rejection by his own people. The reaction the next day from the Hebrew, who made you ruler and judge over us? They say, who do you think you are? And that would have been the reaction of Israel. To the 40-year-old Moses, who do you think you are to lead us? You don't know anything about hard times. Well, he's going to learn. God's going to show him some hard times. Again, Acts 7, Stephen says, Moses thought that his own people uh, would realize uh, that he was going to deliver them. But they did not They didn't see Moses as a deliverer. They saw him 
perhaps as this pampered Egyptian prince. Did they know Moses' background? Did they know he was a Hebrew? We can't be sure. Perhaps they did, perhaps they didn't. But they reject him. Uh, And as Stephen will spell out uh, in his address there in Acts 7, that was the pattern for Israel. Rejecting the deliverers that God was providing over and over and over until, of course, finally they reject the Messiah himself and have him nailed to a cross. It's nothing unusual for Israel to reject the deliverers that God provides. And Moses gets a taste of that. There's his own people saying, who do you think you are? There's no way he was going to lead them out from bondage at that point. And the word, of course, gets out. Moses uh, has to flee, fled from Pharaoh, went to live in Midian. Midian was up at the north end of the Red Sea and across into the uh, Arabian Peninsula, but of, I suppose, modern-day Saudi Arabia. That was Midian. That's where Moses went. Very interesting statement, Hebrews 11, verse 27 By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, because he saw him who is invisible. And that gives us pause. Was he afraid? Was he not afraid? Well, perhaps the fear uh, settled, and it certainly seems that that Moses came to realize uh, that this is not God's time. Uh, And he's conscious Uh, that the Lord's leading him away from Egypt. I think that's the by faith Moses at this point. He's trusting God to lead him away uh, and take him uh, to an appropriate place. So there's faith, even in the midst of all of this confusion and hardship and difficulty, by faith he leaves Egypt. And the Lord overrules. Moses should not have killed the Egyptian. But the Lord still works out his plan and purpose. He overrules uh, Moses' foolish haste and keeps on working. And isn't that an encouragement to us? And we think of the times we let God down and the things we mess up. And sometimes we think, well, that's it. God will be finished with me. And Moses might well have thought that as he left Egypt. And yet God hadn't. God was still working through even his failings and his sins and his faults. And there's encouragement in that. But as God's servants, he'll work out his purpose. Even when we make mistakes, even when we sin, God is not frustrated in fulfilling his plans. And so he takes Moses to Midian. And Midian is going to be a place of growth for Moses. It will not be 40 wasted years. It's not as if Moses had acted too quickly when he was 40 and he had to go and just cool his heels for 40 years in Midian. This was part of God developing him. He was growing as a person. One of the things you see here in the account in Exodus 2 is the real concern that Moses has for justice for the oppressed. You'd seen that for his own people in Egypt, but here he is in Midian, uh, where he delivers the daughters of of rule, of Jethro's another name he's known by. Now, they weren't Jews. Uh, They were descendants uh, of Abraham through one of his concubines, Keturah. They're not Jews. 
And yet Moses acts to deliver them. And you see, he seems to drive the shepherds off. There's no, uh, there's none of the, the, the fatal violence that characterized them back in Egypt. It seems he's learned his lesson from that. But I think we see a little glimpse of where God's going in the future. Because here are people who aren't Jews. And Moses delivers them. And it's like a little snapshot of the fact that God, when he delivers, when he delivers from sin, not just from Egypt, but from sin, delivers not just Jews, but all kinds of people, people from all sorts of backgrounds. The the great gathering of God's people that's described in Revelation 7, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And so God's kingdom will contain people from all kinds of backgrounds and ethnicities. And here's a little glimpse of that as Moses, God's deliverer, delivers these Midianite girls. And the language that's used uh, here, we believe it was Moses, of course, years later writing the book of Exodus. The language, verse 17, he rescues them. Verse 19, he rescued them. It's a different word that's used, but it's rescued them. Tokens that Moses is called to be a deliverer. It'll be in God's time and God's way, but yes, he is a deliverer. And the first of the words that's used for rescue in verse 17 crops up again in chapter 18 and verse 10 about the Lord. The Lord rescues. And here's Moses rescuing the Midianite girls. Moses is learning how to deliver and to do it in God's way. So God's shaping him and preparing him for the great work. And it's interesting that Moses in Midian still sees himself as an exile from his own people and his true homeland. Now, he's got a Midianite wife, Zipporah. And you might think, well, he'll settle there. He'll blend in with the Midianites. But he doesn't. He still sees himself as different. The name of his son, Gershom, uh, sounds like, and this is often the way with Hebrew names, uh, they sound like something else significant. Gershom means alien here. And Moses thinks of himself that way. He's really saying, in effect, I I don't truly belong here in Midian. I belong somewhere else. And he probably doesn't even think of himself as belonging in Egypt. Moses had been taught by his parents about the history of his people and about God's promises and God's covenant. And what God had promised to Abraham was the land of Canaan. And Moses would know that. He'd have been taught that as soon as he was able to understand the words. Canaan is the land God has for his people. And so I believe Moses is really saying, I don't belong in Midian. I don't belong in Egypt. Where I belong is with God's people in Canaan. We're not there yet. We're still in Egypt. But God will take them there. And he'll lead them by Moses. He's an alien in Midian because God has somewhere else. He's a homeland for them. 
And always, always we're saying, how does this point us to the greater deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ? How does that point us to Christ? Well, remember when the Lord Jesus up on the mountain of transfiguration was talking about his coming death. And who was he talking to? Moses and Elijah. Fascinating. Christ was talking to Moses and Elijah up on the mountain. And his death there is described as his exodus. Luke 9.31. His exodus that he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. The work of the Lord Jesus in dying for sinners like us is an exodus. An exodus that requires the cross, his suffering and death. And an exodus that will liberate us not from bondage in Egypt, but will liberate us from the bondage of sin. And will set us free. And will lead us to our true homeland. In the family of God, in heaven, and then in the new creation. So again, Moses and what he does is pointing us forward to a greater deliverer who will take us to our proper homeland where we belong in fellowship with God as his people. Points us to Christ. And so it is a gracious refining. God is working. These are not wasted years. And indeed, As a result of God's working, Moses, we are told in Numbers 12 and verse 3, Moses was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Isn't that interesting? Now, Moses was not weak. He was a strong man. He was a man who on occasion had a temper. And yet God so worked that Moses was humble, ESV, says he was meek. Meek is strength under control. Moses is a humble man, and no doubt those 40 years in Midian had much to do with it. So he's ready to do God's work. Not in Moses' time, but in God's time. And so there is uh, foolish haste. But there's godly refining, gracious refining, And then one final word at the close of the chapter, and really this prepares the way for the rest of the book of Exodus. Finally, there's covenant remembering. Covenant remembering. Verses 23, 24, and 25 are vital. They're not just tagged on at the end of the chapter. They're vitally important. At last, verse 23, the Israelites groaned in their slavery, cried out, They're crying out to God. It seems only now have they reached the point of grasping that to be set free from Egypt, it's going to be God who'll have to do it. They no doubt have groaned under the, the, the bondage of the Egyptians many times, but now they're looking to God. Now they've come to the point of realizing if we are going to leave Egypt... God will have to take us. Deliverance is approaching, as if God now is beginning to move. God heard, we are told in verse 24, and he remembered his covenant. 
Here's the origin of the Exodus. Where does the Exodus start? It starts here. God remembered his covenant. Now, it is not, of course, that God was in danger of forgetting his covenant. It slipped his mind or something. He hadn't thought about it for a while. When God remembers something in the Bible, it's always a prelude to him doing something. And when God remembers his covenant, it tells us God's about to do something. To do something about this covenant. Action is about to take place. God remembers a person. He's going to do something for them. When God remembers his covenant, he's going to do something about fulfilling it. It's a sense of momentum here. It's all beginning to move. As if the wheels start to turn. That will lead to Israel leaving Egypt. God remembers his covenant. But deliverance will be God's initiative. Not Moses. Moses has come to understand that. He'll not decide when Israel go. God will. God's work. Not Moses' work. And he will act. The Lord will act on the basis of his promises. The promises we thought about in the book of Genesis when we studied it. The promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, covenant promises. Promises that included leaving Egypt. You can read about it in Genesis 15, 14. Israel would go out with great possessions and they will. They will. God promised and it will happen. They're going to leave Egypt and he promised somewhere to live. He promised a homeland. The land, the whole land of Canaan, Genesis 17, 8. So that's what the covenant is that God remembers. He's going to take his people out of bondage. He's going to bring them into a homeland, a place he's prepared for them in Canaan. And it's starting to happen. The wheels are beginning to turn. God is working. That's why this is so important. Everything else in the book of Exodus flows from this. This is the catalyst. God remembered his covenant. And he looks on the Israelites and literally it says he knew them. He knew them. Not just that he had information about them or that he knew their names or knew what tribes they belonged to. Of course he did all of that. But knowing when it's used of God as a relationship word. When God knows people, he relates to them in love and in grace. And so it is here. The Lord, translation we have, was concerned about them. It's God's love. It's God's grace. He's going to deliver them. He's going to deliver them through Moses. And that points us again to Christ, the great deliverer. The one who will provide salvation for those that the Lord knows. Those in whom he set his love before he even made the world. Sinners like us who will be delivered through Christ's work. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be known by God? To be known with love and grace and mercy and concern. He's going to act for Israel. Moses will deliver them. And it points us to Christ, 
the deliverer who sets us free from the bondage of sin and leads us into salvation and gives us rich blessings. All in God's time. Back to where we started. All in God's time. Not in Moses' time. Not in the time the Israelites might have wanted. But in God's time. It takes 80 years before Moses is ready. But he will be ready. God is preparing him. God provides a deliverer as he provided a saviour in Christ. Never late. Not a moment late. Always at exactly God's appointed time. We need patience, of course, often, as Moses did, as the Israelites did. Patience to await God's time and God's working, but he never fails. And he always keeps his promises.